Thanks for listening to the Drummer's Weekly Groovecast. You can contact the show at twitter.com forward slash dwgroovecast and through Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Drummer's Weekly Groovecast. Good evening. I am warning you right now, if you touch my drums, I will stab you in the neck with a knife. Ain't a book. <laughs> Ain't a book. Mom! Take it easy. Lower it. I'm, I'm not going to lower it. I have to do this now. I don't want to play it, but lower it. Well, we are we going to straighten out? No, we had a problem. I mean, uh, we tried to do everything we could. What do you mean? Well, you know what I mean. Nice. Little trouble there. You're rushing. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Drummer's Weekly Groovecast, folks. This is your weekly dose of political talk. Wait, what? Political talk, man. People uh, don't get enough of it on social media. I didn't prepare for this. We, uh, politics hasn't been at the forefront of everyone's uh, communication as of late, so I, I, need, I need a minute here. I know it's been a little bit of an afterthought, but I kind of thought that maybe we could, you know, start a conversation about it, you know, kind of get people up to date on what's going on. Sway some people. Let me tell you, social media is the most powerful medium of getting people to change their minds. I have never been more wishy-washy in my life. I read a post and I'm immediately like right in that camp. And then another one of the opposite comes on and I'm like, wait, wait, uh, it's fatiguing. Well, I'll tell you the other thing. I have come to the realization that I am just not plugged into life, that I am absolutely the most boring, poor fool on the face of the planet because all of my friends on the different social media platforms are leading this incredibly enthralling and thrilling life to where all the different political going on seems to affect their daily life. And, you know, I don't think I've had a president in my lifetime that's told me where to go have lunch or whether or not to play a gig or do a podcast or. I wouldn't mind the suggestion for the lunch thing. I get bored with the ones by my house. So anybody like in the uh, Oval Office wants to give me a shout, recommend a good sandwich. I'm I'm down. Let me say this. I greatly look forward to the days to where I can turn on social media and start looking at pictures of what people had for lunch. No doubt. <laughs> I was laughing with someone the other day how uh, how many times I heard, I can't wait until November 9th when we get back to normalcy. And I think it just went even more haywire. <laughs> Man, the cat's out of the bag, brother. Whew. What you got? I'll tell you what I got. I got Adam Deitch on a podcast, man. It's blowing up. I'm loving it. That was such a good hang, man. I'm telling you. I wish, you know, again, not to jock social media any more than it is, but, boy, if we could uh, if we could have just got a little bit of video of that hang, man, people could see legitimately what a good time we were having with all that. I mean, it's, man, I, I feel like even though we're not making any money, I feel like we're stealing money, man, doing this. Yeah, I agree. You know, the one thing that, that I thought about with that interview is, uh, you know, a lot of times you can be defined or influenced by the people you hang with. And I will say this about that lettuce crew. 
that's some good people. Uh, everybody that we ran across was just exceptionally cool and accommodating, and I think that speaks to uh, Adam being exactly that as well. I mean, it wasn't a facade or a front, man. It's just a group of good people doing some good stuff and making good music, and uh, I just I, f- I feel really good about that. It was it was a really nice experience. It was, man. Those guys welcomed us with uh, open arms. They were, uh, you know, trying to give us tickets and all kinds of other stuff. But us being the old men that we are, I'll tell you what, man. I turn into a pumpkin, man, these days around like 11 p.m. 11? That's when the lettuce boys are getting cranked up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on my second dream by 11. (laughs) You know, before we jump past the lettuce crew, let me go ahead and give some propers out to Lettuce Nation. Let me tell you, or it's I'm going to say it's Lettuce Worldwide because uh, we saw quite an interesting little jump uh, from some countries that uh, we either have not had a huge presence in or maybe have not had a presence in so w- whatsoever. And we also got a, a really nice, very nice uh, email from uh, uh, a fan over in in Europe that was very complimentary of the interview. So big shout out to that. Some of the countries in question here, or some of the que- uh, some of the countries that we were uh, talking about, had a nice big jump from some folks in Switzerland. Could it have anything to do with the Piesty folks over there? I don't know. The good time, good watches, Adam. B8 alloy. I'm reaching. Sweet. Chocolate. Yeah, Sweden. They're happy. People people eat chocolate. They're happy. (laughs) And they just like to hear interviews of cool people. Toberlone. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably like the, like the, uh, you know, Walmart. (laughs) Of chocolate. (laughs) Right. Uh, But yeah, we had some folks in Sweden tune in, a good bit of folks from there, from Spain, and then we had some folks from India. That that might be the the first time we've actually had a presence in India. Nice, you know. And then uh, some folks in Russia and Austria as well. Uh, the Alps, man, are uh, in Austria like and Switzerland. They do, man. Show me the money. I could dig it, man. Like vodka and lettuce. That's a heck of a combination. <laughs> right lettuce there. and beets. You know. Uh, yeah. Oh, 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 I see what you did. Uh, you see what I did good. there? Little that was corny. I, did, ah. <laughs> I didn't say borscht. I said beets. Get it? Nah, anyway. Uh, but, you onion head. Nah, you know. Uh, before I forget also, uh, John, you're aware that I made another little road trip this week. And I want to encourage any of the folks who are listening to this to go back a couple of months into the Drummer's Weekly Groovecast archives and dig up a little interview that was done with Ryan Brown. He, uh, my friends, is the drummer for Dweezil Zappa. I, uh, when I did the interview with him back, and I believe it was sometime in mid-October in Atlanta, I actually had a gig that night, so I couldn't go to the show. Well, it just happened to be on another leg of the tour, the Dweezil Zappa folks, who are also, by the way, just just as nice. The people I met involved with that, with that entire band and the road crew, just good people. Love it. They were playing a gig up in Knoxville, Tennessee. And as many of our listeners know, I have deep roots 
up there at uh, Knoxville. So I thought, why not make a road trip out of it? Go up there, see some folks, have some fun, have some lunch, some food, hang out with the Zappa crew. And I did, and then uh, Ryan was nice enough to hook me up with a few tickets. And let me tell you, Ryan Brown has cemented himself into that lineage of great Zappa drummers. Mm. Let me tell you. praise. Yeah, there's no caveats on that. I'm just telling you, he's right there. Go ahead and just name off those names. Thompson, Bozio, Colliuda, Wackerman, Dunbar, Brown. There, I said it. Fair enough, man. Hey, Phil, did, he came back like giddy after witnessing up close this young man's abilities and the challenges that are that gig. And uh, Phil's this cranky old man. He didn't get giddy much. So, Ryan, <laughs> thank you. He, he bought us like three or four days apiece, man. You're, you're a godsend. That itself is a testament, wouldn't you say? Uh, that's just me deflecting my crankiness is all it is. But thanks nonetheless, Ryan. It works in mysterious ways, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> but, yeah, they. let me say this also just quickly about the, the Zappa band. That band also, man, they are tight as the proverbial concrete block. And, and let me tell you, they're not, they're not playing the easy, the little hits. I'm telling you, they're playing Inca Rhodes and Zombie Wolf, and they're playing the stuff like Keep It Greasy from, mm. uh, you know, Joe's Garage, mm. Little Grooves in 1916, just slaughtering it. And I'm talking about the year? Yeah, it was a good year, 1916. Okay, because uh, other than that, man, I yeah. was, we were like, that doesn't even seem possible. We were just getting involved in the, the Great War, you know, at that time. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Man, uh, oh Frank! Can't say enough, man. I mean, that entire band. And I was joking with Ryan. Also, I got to see some of the sound check. And on both ends of the stage, there's there's a couple of players um, that play horns, guitar. All I mean, really, when I say horns, I'm talking about a multitude of different woodwinds and keyboards. And then they sing like bird. They're like the the two Swiss Army knives on the end mm. of each day of the stage. Let me tell you. Go see that Dweezil Zappa band when they come through your neighborhood, and it doesn't matter if you're a fan or not, because the, some one of the person, one of the people I had with me had had heard not note one of any of the Zappa stuff, and it's all of Frank's music. It's mm-hmm. none of Dweezil's music. It's all of Frank's music. Starts back from the first album, Freak Out, and goes all the way up into the late '80s. The the music that they're playing, and it was a universal rousing success on on this person who had never heard one note of music i mean just wonderful so there and not even a musician not even a musician just understanding the sheer Mm -hmm. insane talent it takes you know just from a a completely different perspective than we would have i'm gonna say this also dweezil zappa is highly highly underrated as a guitarist yeah I mean, criminally underrated as a guitarist. I've always heard good things. His old man would be happy. Nice. Yeah. So, anyway, folks, there you go. There's our little lead-in to the show. Before I forget, 
You guys are doing a great job staying in touch with us. Continue to do so. You can email us at drummersweeklygroovecast at gmail.com. Interact with us on the infamous social media, facebook.com forward slash drummersweeklygroovecast. That's where we get a lot of you guys get some instant messages and just replies to posts and whatnot. We really appreciate that. And then you can tweet us, twitter.com forward slash dwgroovecast. Or as the kids say, just at DW Groovecast. We're getting some new followers literally every day. Kids? High profile ones. Oh, nice. I did see that. <laughs> I ain't name dropping. You can just go to our you can go to our Twitter page and look and see yourself, right, John? I guess you could, yeah. Should we talk about something today or what? It'd probably be a good idea. Well, this topic that we're gonna delve into today is one that most people either don't really have to deal with it or have it done with it, or some would even say it's the bane of their existence. So we're going to give you some tips on what we've done before in the past, and that is playing with percussionists. And then immediately you're going to go, but Phil, but John, aren't you guys percussionists? Well, yeah, but we're talking about when we, or in case of you, the listener, you are playing drums and then you are playing with a dedicated auxiliary percussionist. That's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And again, that in itself uh, will raise the hackles on some of our listeners. We're going to tell you what we do. In some cases, a trip back to the therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, <laughs> did I say that out loud? John, you and I have talked about this before in the past Mm -hmm. and a lot of times it quite honestly does have to deal with sometimes a cranky percussionist or one that maybe we don't feel like listens very much to kind of what's going on and we kind of use that same thing of like oh man these guys man they just need to be lucky because they're first off they're lucky they got a gig because they're normally always you know the last one hired and a lot of times the first one fired you know when when money budget or when money comes into the equation and budgets get cut. Yeah. And that's a drag, but it's true. And then likewise, we've also said before, when you get a good one, man, they can flat out make the gig hip. I love it. I'm I've been spoiled in in my tenure in Atlanta, especially uh with uh really talented uh and appropriate percussionist, you know, play mm-hmm. for the gig and all that. And come to think of it, I had one in St. Louis that was exceptional too. So I've, I've been lucky to have far more that uplift the gig than not. I'm going to be right there with you also that, that I've had better experiences with them than 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 more negative ones, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, though, it does seem like, again, talking back, getting back to human nature, that our negative experiences will certainly uh, put that old indention in the brain a little bit more <laughs> than the positive ones. It's just you know? stickier. <laughs> yeah. So, what I thought we would do first is we would kind of introduce what I kind of written out as like the five most typical versions Mm -hmm. 
of these accessory percussionists that we would have. And then we'll kind of address each one and we'll talk about kind of what to expect and things that you guys can communicate to these other, these other players. And so the first one, we're going to call them the typical pop or rock percussionist. And this would be the percussionist that's added to the group or that's in the group where you're playing primarily rock, pop, modern type stuff. And we'll call this guy, this is the percussionist that has uh, the spaceship of toys, shall we say. He's got hand drums, congas, bongos, tambourines, cowbells, blocks, chimes, maybe accent cymbals, mm -hmm. that kind of. Any, any other thing you can think of they add along? Whistles. Um, a vest. That's pretty good. None of them wear a coat. Yeah. Sorry, I, I you, you you covered all that, and I just I, I went blank. Sometimes ponytail. Sometimes. Sometimes bald head. Sometimes. Yeah. And then you've got another kind of somewhat closely related percussionist, and we'll just call this folk the ethnic percussionist mm -hmm. and this might be uh, a person who is extremely deeply rooted in either authentic or folkloric styles yeah. of percussion kind of steeped in tradition yeah for sure brazilian tradition cuban tradition right that sort of thing that one can sometimes pose a challenge or two on that or Just, 16 or 32 yeah i mean you you could almost say john that this in some ways these folks can we can equate them to the jazz snob of the percussion world in some ways that's pretty good you like that i do i just thought of it i do yeah i think our little conversation about politics just kind of put my brain on edge there for a second that's okay man i'll walk you down all right and then the third one that we'll talk about is the classical percussionist, or as we like to slay, say in slang terms, the legit percussionist. And this is, we'll say that this is the type of percussionist that you might encounter on something like uh, a Pops concert, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps uh, like a musical theater gig. And then in my... Some of the more traditional church settings that's that. true yeah and then also man in my setting i do uh, a few of those award shows mm -hmm. and uh, they'll have a a, a classical classical percussionist there and, and the we'll call the instruments there will be can sometimes cross over into that rock pop type thing but also in addition to that you're going to have timpani you'll have keyboards as in keyboard percussion things like uh, marimba xylo Orchestra bells. Sometimes you'll have things like uh, bar chimes that they'll mm -hmm. play. That sort of stuff. Again, a different kind of animal, and they kind of have their own set of uh, challenges that we'll talk about involved with that. You, you will. I will. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Here, 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 here to serve. <laughs> I don't want emails about my unqualified opinions. John, I, I desperately want to do a gig with you where we're both on the gig and you're forced to do some kind of like legit percussion, <laughs> like timpani or like keyboard percussion. It would make my decade. It would make you feel better about yourself, that's for sure. <laughs> my rusty Great. keyboard chops. Uh, no more politics. You're becoming mean now. No, I'm sorry, man. But it's all going... Hey, 
after January 20th, it's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. Everybody's going to be happy. Everybody's going to be happy. So now we move on to percussionist number four. And we'll call this evil, vile person Chip McSticks. You ever heard that one before? No. That old hacky thing. And and really what this is, this is a tad bit, tad bit of a misnomer. It's not a person percussionist, but we're going to call, we're just going to say electronic percussion, whether it be uh, loops or sequences. Sometimes you have that also in addition to a live percussionist. So that's, again, another thing that you have to have a meeting of the minds with. But we'll... Yeah, that Chip's guy, though, man, he's an unaccommodating bastard. He, man, let me tell you what, he does not take direction very well. No. And certainly doesn't take criticism well. That's true. Yeah. We got to get rid of him. And then fifth... And finally on the list, oh. and I'm go- oh, and, and as you can already hear, the exasperation come from coming from the no, other no. side of the room. No, 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 that that was my bad back. Yeah. <laughs> come on, man, work with me. <laughs> We're gonna call this folk the part-time percussionist, and we're going to point the fickle finger of fate directly at singers and horn players on this. Now. Before okay, I already man, I can I can hear the collective eye rolling. Not see, I have to hear the collective eye rolling going all across this great nation in blue marble of a globe that we are because I guarantee a lot of people are going, boy, they are getting ready to just hammer some singers and <laughs> <laughs> and some horn players. Well, yeah, we are. We are. But let me tell you, I have actually had some incredibly positive experiences with both of those as well me too so we're gonna we're gonna discuss all of those all right (laughs) (laughs) well yeah okay so when we were discussing this john said man the key to this entire thing is we gotta we gotta have good open lines of communication with these folks most definitely absolutely so i think one of the most important things is when you are playing with any of these percussionists, and like I said earlier, we will take each of these folks individually in a, in a few moments and discuss some of the in particular pitfalls or maybe some of the in particular things you need to have your ears open for that are kind of endemic with each of their disciplines. But with all of these, one of the first things you need to talk about is just Let's have an open discussion about what is going to be complementary for each of us to play on certain songs. Because one of the things that is, it's really a problem if you don't have open lines of communication is you don't want to be playing directly on top of each other playing the same parts. Or or at least you should say most of the time you don't want that happening. It happens a lot too. It does. Um, yeah, I, I, I really feel like, um, I mean, in some cases, like in a cover band situation, you know, there's some pretty defined parts and you hope someone did their homework, has the vibe together and all that. But, uh, you know, there are, there are guys that tend to lean one way or the other, you know, like some guy might play congas, you know, 90% of the night and. You know, you might kind of wish he was doing some high-pitched metal percussion thing on 
some tune where it was like a signature vibe of the tune, you know. Exactly. And uh, if they're not well versed in that particular song, you know, like you can make a really cool suggestion, like, "Hey, man, on this tune, it's kind of the sixteenth note, moving, mm-hmm. metallic, percussive thing." You know, check that out. And, right, because it's it's like if if say a percussionist is kind of leaning on hand drums, mm-hmm. like congas in particular. And let's say that there's a song that we have to play that has kind of one of those, uh, we'll call it like a tom vibe or a tom groove mm-hmm. that goes through it. It doesn't make a lot of sense for him to kind of be copying that part if he's not familiar with that song. No, he needs to try yeah. to find something else, man, that might complement what you're doing and not play right on top of it. Right. I just kind of feel like certain there, there's usually a three or four songs a night that if somebody's new and you, you just kind of say, hey, man, here's where we're at with this and get on the same page that way, you'll avoid that kind of thing. Yeah. Hey, on this song, I'm doing this Tom thing. And my from my experience, you know, 99% of the time, like, oh, cool, yeah, I'll, I'll grab this, do this vibe or do that, you know. So it's pretty cool. But then you're not, you know, halfway through a song and bumming about getting stepped all over. Right. So that's where this communication can be really cool and, and musically effective yeah sometimes you made a, a great point that sometimes um if a percussionist is an add-on to a gig they're not going to be familiar with all the material that you do now granted there are some things that they've you know older songs that you might have played since the 70s or 80s or whatever that they might just lock right into and and play perfectly but there might be more modern stuff that they're not familiar with and that they haven't played especially with your band and then yeah you can kind of help steer them through as far as like with that and also another thing that I do especially for the percussionist since we're, we're still in that drummer brotherhood thing is that if um, if we either have arrangements of older tunes or if we have new tunes that have lots of breaks and stops in them I'll kind of direct them as well with that mm-hmm. so that kind of plays into the communication as well in other words hey like watch me man we're going to do a couple of breaks here you know and that's a place like where the vocals you know have an open spot or you know there's a break here and this is a place like where just the horns are going to play right that type of thing so yeah that open line of communication is uh, going to be a big thing i agree yeah you know you also mentioned man that there are certain songs that you play that kind of have signature percussion parts in them as well. Not a whole lot, but there are certain ones. Yes, they they present themselves on occasion for sure. And and it's important, very important, that hopefully the percussionist will realize that and know that, hey, there's a signature conga part on something like Sympathy for the Devil by the Stones. Mm-hmm. If not, you can at least communicate it to them beforehand again that hey look this thing is on you bubba you know you got this tumbao conga part man you need to be nailing to the wall that that really sets the entire groove for the rest of the song likewise dare i say the cowbell part on don't fear the reaper (sighs) i don't mind the cowbell part on don't fear the reaper it's just people still think that joke is really funny and it's like man Come play a gig with a drunk percussionist or a singer with the cowbell two inches from the mic, and then tell me how funny that joke is at this point. Man, you're skipping ahead. 
Sorry. I just, I hate that joke. You know what? More cowbell. Nobody needs more cowbell. Yeah, but you know what separates me from the other guy who puts his pants legs on one at a time? I make gold records when I put my pants on. (laughs) I kind of butchered that, but you know. (laughs) You make gold skid marks, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So, John, you had talked about yesterday we were talking about this and you said that sometimes it's cool to discuss actual instrument preferences too Mm -hmm. give the folks an idea of what you're talking about on that as far as like what's being played yeah like what's being played like for example when you're playing a certain groove and then you might have for example a percussionist that has similar instruments on there yeah well my biggest pet peeve i think is um, a lot of percussionists will have at least one fairly decent sized crash. That's my experience as of yeah. late, like maybe a couple splashes, but you know, even if it's like a 16 inch crash, you know, there's something that's got a little more meat, a little darker and mm-hmm. fuller. And, uh, I've kind of, as time goes on, I hit less and less crash symbols. And really dig that, you know, like kind of thing. And then every once in a while, like a, you know, you, you hear a board tape with someone that there was one person in particular that it, it felt like every four bars they were hitting that crash symbol. You no, know, no matter what they're doing, mm-hmm. they were just hitting that crash symbol. And I get back to you know a board tape or recording, and it's like, it sounds like I'm just beating a crash symbol every four bars because as a listener. You're kind of just assuming, like, that bigger-sounding crash, that drummer, you know, because you don't associate that with it. Some things like that, you know, um, mm-hmm. I'll uh, – if I know the person and I know they're real cool, I'll be like, hey, man, I, if you don't mind keeping the crashes to a minimum, I'm kind of doing the same thing. And they'll be like, okay, cool. I think another – not gear-related, but just communication by way of – if you're playing with someone new, you know, kind of communicating some things like your time feel like, Hey man, I play a little more on the backside or I tend to drive things. You know, that's some communication that can really make a difference in a gig. And especially if they do bring out the dreaded cowbell. And, uh, I, I always try to communicate in a real cool way. Some of that to man, the discussion of time feel, when you're talking to a percussionist about that, man, there there are two very particular things that I tell the folks that come in that I play with is that, for example, if I'm playing in in uh, like the like the corporate band, corporate cover kind of a thing, right? That band has several kind of signature medleys that they will do, right? right? And those are not done to any kind of a sequence and they're not done to any kind of a click, but they do have some tempo changes and not, not these abrupt tempo changes that go from like, you know, 120 down to 98 or, 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 you know, like a ballad, like a 74 up to like, you know, 140, but subtle, you know, little pullbacks, little push aheads, you know, something that might go from 110 to 112, you know, that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's 
inevitable, man, that whenever, you know, a band has been playing for a long time together, like a core group, that, man, they can just find that. They can find that tempo. But, again, like you said, if you've got a percussionist back there that's whacking on a wood block, you know, and it's just and it's just putting that thing right dead center where it was the entire time, it can create a little bit of a rub, so to speak, with that and make people, you know, second guess where they're going with it. So, in particular, when, when we're playing these medleys that have subtle tempo changes like that, I always communicate it ahead of time. Like, hey, when we get to this song, we're going to lay it back a little bit. And then after we get out of this one, we're going to push it back up to where we were before. And that generally helps. You know, mm-hmm. that, that makes them at least aware of it in their ears. And then part two of that is that any time that we are playing with a click or that we are playing with a sequence, everybody in the core band has in-ear monitors on, right? So everybody can hear the sequence and or the click. 90% of the time when a percussionist add-on comes in like that, no, they don't even have a monitor a lot of times. Right. And so if they're not aware that that sequence or click is going, then they're out on literally out on an island by themselves like that and can really wreak havoc. So that bit of communication that we're just normally used to, everybody in the band just knows, okay, well, there's going to be a sequence to this. Man, this guy sitting two feet away from me that's, that's banging on a tambourine doesn't know that. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, really relaying to him that, hey, man, we're getting ready to go on a series of tunes that's got sequences and or clicks, you know, really give a give a close ear over here. Yeah, I uh, the guy that I play with regularly, um, he at first was kind of in that position, like no monitor, this and that. And with the purchase of a new board and multiple mixes and all that he was able to go in ears and and he was just in heaven like oh this is great I, I completely you know it's a different world now here where I know where you're at I know I'm hearing a click I'm all that and it, it really tightened things up a great deal so in a perfect world and it's sad that it isn't more common you know that having monitor for a percussionist and having a click for, if you can make that happen, I think it can make a world of difference. So he didn't balk at the click, huh? Oh, no, 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 no. But I mean, he's a very good musician and records enough. And, you know, so it wasn't anything, anything weird um, for him and adjustment wise, other than he just hears how inhuman I can be. Other than that, you know, it's been great. John grows fangs on the gigs, man. No, no, no. I just mean (laughs) how when the batteries in my metronome, you know, start waning and the clicks dragging or rushing. That's what I meant. You have that problem too? I thought I was the only one. No, 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 no. Batteries aren't what they used to be, man. I would say go with the energizers. I don't know. I've tried those and it's still even... I I battle with some kind of, you know, glitch on occasion. Is it similar to like the rock star dyslexia, a phobia, Donnie Wynn thing? (laughs) No, it's just similar to my time sucks sometimes, Phil. (laughs) I'm just so defiant. I'm like, F you, click. Does it ever seem, does it seem to you that we're going off, here's tangent 101, folks. Does it ever seem to you that the t- 
tireder you get, there's always a propensity to rush more than drag? Yes, man. I've discussed this with a number of people. It's absurd. Isn't and it? more people than not say the same thing. Trying to keep that bass drum from running away from you. See, I have a theory that it's we spend hours keeping everyone else from doing that. Yeah. That when we're tired, we just give in. <laughs> <laughs> ah, screw it. Let's 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 pick it up. <laughs> that last. I, I don't. I'm not. I can't fight you anymore, people. That last one minute of the show is worth the entire listening experience, isn't it? Man. <laughs> so, j- just as a quick recap uh, out of all this, one in a general sense, we would kind of like to try to avoid playing a lot of the same rhythmic patterns. In other words, copying and staying right on top of one another. One of the ones that always used to seem to be like the bane of of the existence was um, if you were playing some kind of like a little swing thing or maybe even a Latin thing that, you know, a drummer would have a tendency to play like a little rim click tom pattern, kind of, kind of like the old conga tumbao. It seems like there was always a nice conflict there that the percussionist wanted to play that and, you know, and the drummers wanting to play almost the same thing. So, yeah, again, try to steer clear of that. Try to play complementary patterns, you know. In other words, not things that are right on top of each other. And and that also leads me down the wormhole of saying, drummers, do yourself a favor. And whatever style of music that you're playing, whether it be any of the Latin styles, swing styles, rock, pop, funk styles, make sure that you can have numerous grooves within that style that will work in case you have to shift on the fly and the percussionist gets locked into what he's doing. That way you can actually kind of be the source of the solution, so to speak. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So have some different styles. Don't just go in there with one samba or, or, you know, one bossa nova or one mambo. Be able to, uh, do a bunch of different ones so that you can complement what the percussionist is playing if he gets locked in. So that's one thing. As a as an aside, I'd sort of, especially more in the pop, rock, groove setting, I kind of view the best percussionists like I view the best bass players, and that is they got their thing, they're really together, and they're able to kind of get into my my vibe and my groove mm-hmm. and all that. and and that's not an ego thing it's just sort of when you're talking about the foundation and a drummer it's harder for a drummer to adjust be it you know hey I want you to play dead on I want you to play on top if you're a guy that lays back whatever whereas a percussionist and bass player really good ones are able to just accommodate that but I think it's way more difficult for a drummer to be the one that's shifting and compromising. So my favorite percussionists, man, they're just like, oh, yeah, I see where you're at, man. Let's make this happen. And they're not trying to dictate anything, yeah. and it becomes music. Just like a bass player, you know. If you have a bass player that's like all night driving home, you know, just, just pushing everything, and that's not your thing, you know, that gig feels like it's eight hours long. Chopping wood at that you time. Know, it's just brutal. Yeah. So uh, that that's something that a lot of that communication can can help. Yeah. Uh, 
to uh, to avoid that kind of scenario too. But I, mean, I know in my case, for the last 25 years or so, you know, I've been spoiled by a lot of good percussionists, but a few in general that have an interesting uh, uh, thing that they share. And that is the three guys I'm thinking of are, are all really good drummers. Oh, interesting. And man. that is yeah. something that um, you want to talk about really understanding where someone's coming from. If you're a really accomplished drummer and you're playing percussion on a gig, you're just going to be able to kind of relate to whatever's happening on that kit and, and accommodate and compliment. And I, 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 I've been really lucky in that sense that, um, you know, they're just, besides being really cool guys, really together playing simple and tasteful percussion, really together in understanding where I'm coming from. And, uh, that, that that's a, a really cool thing. So, I mean, if you can find a drummer who can really play percussion, you can get him on a gig, man. A lot of times it works really well. Now, granted, your neurosis takes over about halfway through the gig when you're realizing he might burn you to the ground with what you're doing, but you just laugh and say, nah, I'm not going to get fired. How does I'm that okay. neurosis feel, though, in the middle of a three- or four-hour continuous gig when you get to walk off the stage and let him sit down, though? That's when I just show you know show gratitude and <laughs> praise him to no end and say you should play three more songs you sound so great that's man. when you turn into Ringo peace and love peace and love let me come over here <laughs> and play this tambourine for a set <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one of our other global things that John really il illustrated very well is you want to try to avoid also playing identical instruments simultaneously so like for example if the percussionist is playing straight up cowbell on something, lay off your cowbell. That is, if you're savvy <laughs> enough to carry, to carry one around, right? You know? <laughs> Why are you laughing, John? <laughs> I don't even own a cowbell. It's so <laughs> annoying. But but more importantly, that's one more thing you got to set up. So that, that that's the truth of the matter. Now, you, I, I, you, heard it, Steven. you heard it from old economy John over here. <laughs> <laughs> I could bring a kick, a snare, and be happy. But, but uh, the the truth is, I don't do much auxiliary percussion in my setup. Yeah. Um, and never have. So it's not something that I'm going to have a problem with. But I also kind of feel like if you have a percussionist, man, there's a, you know, don't even tempt yourself with anything yeah. like that. Yeah. I want to you go just ahead. Avoid, avoid it altogether. I want to go ahead and go down this wormhole also because it's absolutely worth mentioning. John is an absolute man of his word when he says that he is a man of economy from the standpoint of bringing drums. This is the guy that told me a solid 15 years ago that if he was ever asked to audition for the Rush gig, that he would bring kick, snare, and hat. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to say when there's no remote possibility <laughs> that that would happen. Oh, but it's funny, though. That would be pretty cool, actually. It'd be awesome, man. Getty would love it. Now, I saw some ad recently. Like, it was like a Facebook video ad or something that... They auditioning now? Mark Giuliano is like, 
how to get a million sounds out of a minimal setup, and he's got a kick and a snare. Like, yeah. That guy might be able to do that. Yeah. Play the Rush gig with the kick and a snare. I'd, I'd like to try it. I'd like to see somebody like that do it. That my, would be my, I mean, if I do it, everything's going to turn into like an old R&B song <laughs> and get him, you know. Fortunately, we'd have baseball in common, and I'd distract him with like talk of the Hall of Fame voting or something. And yeah, but he's an American League fan, man. I can't go down that, that, thing, I, that path. I think he's a baseball fan. Yeah. I'd love His to hear- collection is not solely American League. I would love to hear you play La Villa Strangiato on kick, snare, and hat. That'd be awesome. All right, I'll have a YouTube video up next week. You owe us some YouTube videos, by the way. Oh, God. <laughs> you opened yourself yeah, up, man. I don't, I don't even know how to get on YouTube. Leave me alone. <laughs> All right. And then the, the other thing, and this will, John will also get a laugh at this as well. Try as much as you can to avoid, like, timbre matching. And all I mean by that is is if you're playing, for example, like a, a 16th note hi-hat pattern, try to discourage your percussionist from playing a 16th note shaker pattern. <laughs> you know you know what I mean? I mean, it sounds obvious, doesn't it? Shuffled 30 seconds yeah, is ultimately right. what happens. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, that that's that's almost equally equivalent to having someone who creates a sequence or something like that, and then they put like a lot of like low-end kick drum or something. It's nothing like flaming kick drum on a, between a sequence and, a, and you know, a drum set. Lovely. I like flaming kick drums, but not, not flaming. Just more proof that we don't edit anything on this show. <laughs> not lying. So anyway, back to useful advice I was going to give. Um, hey, you're talking about a key to something. A, a what? <laughs> oh, yeah, well. Hey, um, no, really, when it comes down to all of this, it, it's not rocket science, and it's not much different than playing with any other musician, ultimately, but it comes down to finding, the, you know, a puzzle that fits, man, it, it, you know, parts that make sense, and, and a lot of it is, um, you know, just complimenting each other and serving the music which is the same thing you're going to do with a bass player or you're going to step all over a singer you know it's all the same kind of thing and uh, you know as is as we've talked about before just putting that ego aside and your need for attention aside and just work together man and and all the chops in the world i mean a really incredible well thought out percussion drummer groove can be just as cool as anything like that. You know, when it works, it's magic. And there's, there's a reason there's a ton of percussion on a ton of groove tunes. Cause it's just spice and flavor and momentum. And, you know, at its very best, it's glue. Yeah. You know, very true. Yeah. Yeah. When you have the, the best of the best doing it, it, it you take it out and it can be, quite a bit different the feel I mean you think about Motown tunes or you know some of that Michael Jackson Quincy stuff you know there's there's you took out percussion parts in a lot of that man and it'd be Earth Wind and Fire I mean come on yeah it would be Santana and like all that stuff you know um glue is a great and and honest depiction of what it should be 
what it could be and, you know, do what you can to make that a reality on your gig and it'll be a gas. Yeah. So John, let's, let's tackle a couple of, um, we'll call them, we'll just, we'll tackle a couple of these different types of percussionists and maybe some of the things that they can at times fall victim to. Okay. And the first one that I want to spend just a second on is we mentioned earlier, like the loyal ethnic percussionist, the traditionalist, the guy that's, you know, steeped in Afro-Cuban percussion or Brazilian percussion. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to appeal. Clave snob. Yes. Yeah. You, you have to appeal to the rational side of what they're doing from the standpoint of sometimes like jazz musicians, sometimes like classical musicians, they're so steeped into their heritage that it almost becomes a part of their personality. It's a prideful thing to them. And they will sometimes try to put that stuff over top of what you're trying to play, which is, which might just be a pop or contemporary, you know, current contemporary style of music and it just doesn't work it doesn't Mm -hmm. sound right and so there was one conga player tremendous conga player man that used to live here in town i don't think he lives here anymore but he was way over into like the folkloric cuban stuff the wawancos and the uh oh yambus and all the different types of uh rumba columbias and that kind of stuff and man, I had him on a gig one time, and he was trying to put that kind of stuff, you know, over like pop tunes. I mean, did it work rhythmically as far as like did it fit note wise? Yeah, but was it proper? No. So if you do run into those kind of guys, that is where your communication from the standpoint of simplicity and or, you know, going to, you know, the traditional tumbals, which a lot of those guys that I've talked about before like that find that that's a little bit of heresy to them because it is like, that's like pop or simple music compared to the, the folkloric style. Right. But it's real important to, you know, f- figure those folks out, appeal to their rational side if you're going to use them because when it does come time, if you are going to play that style of music, I mean, those are the guys to have on your team if you're going to play something that's going to be very authentic and, you know, fit that bill of, of music, but mm-hmm. that style of music. But if you're going in another direction, they need to be sometimes a little more flexible and bend toward you. And that can be – sometimes that's not going to happen. I kind of look at it too like lost in – the idea that a a more traditional percussionist is on a pop gig is kind of like, well, who hired him? Yeah, you know, it's kind of like there's some there's some ownership that needs to be taken there. Like, look, man, this guy's fantastic. You know, if you're doing a tribute to Pete Escovito's band or something like that, you know, yeah, that's all well and good, but you know you're doing a wedding gig and it's all pop tunes and i mean i one time i played with a guy that played 16th note conga pattern on brown eyed girl (laughs) and it was just like well what it was just bizarre you know and so there's 
I think it's best to really have a good idea about who's out there and who does what, and you can avoid some of that too. Yeah. Um, but if you if you do end up in that situation, I hope they're open to suggestion. If they're not, it's just a gig, man. You may get through. You'll you'll, you'll live. No one's gonna get hurt. You mean to tackle this classical percussionist guy? <laughs> well, I mean, because we don't have all day and I'm an expert <laughs> on it, I'm going to let you just sort of touch the highlights. Well, well l- let me say this. Really, the, the main things that you would have to battle, if we want to call it that, I'll go into battle, but mainly the main concerns that you would have about it is – we will say that most of the classical percussionists that I play with are not regular drum set players. A lot of times they live in their classical world, whether it be playing classical music or they're just playing, like you said, maybe church gigs that, that lean on classical sacred music or even like uh, musical theater type shows, again, which a lot of them are steeped in classical style, right? So we'll just say that some of these folks are maybe not groove players. How's that? Mm -hmm. And also you would have to think that the majority of the time their parts are actually written out parts that they are following as well. So one of the big things that I would say communication-wise when you're dealing with somebody like that is in particular if you're playing these grooves and you're laying these things down, if you hear major discrepancies, if you hear like crazy xylophone rushing, if you hear some kind of crazy hand drum or accessories that are rushing or dragging, certainly communicate that to them as well because I'm going to throw another thing out here as well. And this this might end up chapping some behinds a little bit, but I mean it's it's pretty much the truth. A lot of times the classical world is guilty of not listening very closely to the other people that are around. I've actually heard it come straight from the mouths of folks that, you know, I'm playing the notes, you know, the notes on the page are getting played, right? And I mean, granted, very important, but, you know, got to listen a little bit. So some gentle communication regarding that. And then the other thing is this. I would tell all the drum set folk out there that our parts as drum set players are generally left up to our interpretation the majority of the time, which means that even if we are reading something, okay, there are notes on the page that we do have to play, and there are certainly ensemble figures and different rhythmic hits that we have to play, but we can a lot of times have some leeway in the way that we approach things, the way that we play certain grooves. And it could be the path of least resistance and maybe make the most musical sense to actually make our parts a little more user-friendly or maybe make our grooves a little bit wider, do some things that actually will allow the classical percussionists to fit in a little bit more. Because I do believe it is easier for us to interpret our parts a certain way that the classical percussionist would not be comfortable doing. I'm done. How do you like that? What? You uh, Hold on. John's on social media. 
Disgusting I'm sorry, politics. man. I, I went in the other room while they talked about that stuff. I'm back. Sorry. John, you want to talk about singers and horn players now? Um, it's a good time. I haven't had any cocktails. All right. So we might be able to get through this diplomatically. The answer is yes. Well, why do you you already you already gave a little bit of a hint earlier in in the show? I'm a big tease. And well, and and the big thing I'll go ahead and and kind of go back over what you said is that horn players and singers we do love you, but and we don't mind, especially like shakers and that sort of thing that are being played if you play them tastefully. But for God's sake, do not take a mambo cowbell and a 3S marching stick that you got from your son's middle school and put the thing into a vocal microphone and play it as loud as possible. You are not doing anyone any favors. And I will tell you this, that smiling, friendly sound man out there is about ready to strangle you when you do that. Your songs are going to be vocalists <laughs> from here on out, sir. Yeah. Man, I have had, let me put it this way. If I had a dollar for every time I look up and there's a cowbell three inches from a vocal mic or a horn mic, I would be a sponsor of this show. I Would you like me to give you some pricing? No, I, I I didn't get that dollar for every time I've seen it, but it, it really is crazy. And and what's funny though is, in some cases, it's ignorance to you know the fact that man. I mean, look, you could stand in the middle of the stage, not near a microphone, and hit a cowbell, and you, everyone's going to hear it. There's no doubt about that. And oftentimes that might be the perfect place in the mix, <laughs> but. You know, for every guy who or gal who's clueless and like does that and inexperienced enough to do that, there's the jackass that's just like, man, whatever I'm doing, yeah, has got to be the most important thing. Why wouldn't I shove it up in this microphone? So I'm gonna just rip this cowbell the shreds right in front of this mic <laughs> and everybody's going to notice how great of a cowbell a player I am <laughs> and how I can play 17 different tempos in 17 bars that is talent man I wish this was a video podcast right now <laughs> to see the veins sticking out on your forehead <laughs> again that sober so think about it <laughs> it's touched me deeply and i don't mean that in a spiritual way <laughs> <laughs> well you know to to, to put a, a pretty little bow <laughs> on this i i will i will finish up by saying that that I have actually had a few positive experiences with the rogue horn player or, or vocalist that have decided have to play. I. And Dang it. and I was able to commu communicate with them. You know, certain things, of course, like don't put the cowbell in front of the stinking vocal mic, you know, that type thing. And the other thing that I will add on to it is sometimes when said 
players go into a music store and they run back there to the drum and percussion section, they flat out lose their mind and will just, they'll just start, man, they'll start raking it in. They'll start bringing out lions' roars and sirens and all kinds. <laughs> Guys, keep it tasteful. You know what I mean? The egg shaker's fine. The tambourine's fine. But you don't need a set of, like, mounted castanets. A clown whistle. Yeah, you don't need that kind of stuff. You know, you don't need an octave of crotales. It's going to be fine, <laughs> you know? So just be tasteful with s- stick to the mainstream. Stick to the things you know, you know? And I'm, I'm even going to say this. Steer clear of a kibasa because I'll guarantee you, you don't know how to play it. I don't. You, <laughs> you don't know how to play that, and you don't know how to play a guiro. If I had to show one more singer how to play Guero, man, I'm going to start taking hostages. That's what the beauty of technology has brought us. A good Guero player <laughs> disguised <laughs> as a laptop. I, I, I do have to vent over one other thing. Go right ahead, man. I'm going to pick on the singers again. The show's free, man. They're not if paying for this. That's a good point. Yeah. If you're banging on a cowbell, and let's even say you're paying attention and it's in time and it's all good. If someone walks up to the stage, like the client or the drunk girl who wants the latest Justin Timberlake or whatever it is, and you're bending over and holding a conversation with them, stop playing the cowbell. How about also don't give the cowbell to the drunk person as well? That's another good one. That's a given that my blood pressure can't discuss right now. Stop playing the cowbell. If you're doing anything but concentrating on playing cowbell, stop. I don't know that I can add anything else to this. I'm going to go ahead and say right now that this is one of the best shows we've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Because I've had 34 singers like, Kick me off their Facebook <laughs> friends list. <laughs> I love everyone. I do. I love it. I, that's just common sense, man. Cowbell. That's dangerous, man. That's like that's like boiling water on the edge of the stove with a toddler kind of stuff, man. Be cool. <laughs> D- I, disasters happen. <laughs> the struggle is Put real. Down the cowbell. <laughs> we don't make me legislate. Some kind of taxation or permit crap over this. Just be cool. I really do feel like this is one of the best shows we've ever done. <laughs> now, apparently, you've been drinking. <laughs> That's all right, man. I feel good about it. Percussionist, man. I, again, I am spoiled rotten. And let me tell you what I feel good about. I feel really good, man, about my underrated drummer of the quarter today. Oh, you always got that. Oh, I, you always got the goods, man. Well, you got a good one too today. And and let me say, the Earth might stop spinning on its axis because once again, I think this might be the only the second time we've ever had two rock drummers in a row. Yeah, I think you're right. You want to go first? Or you want me to? I didn't pick this guy before, did I? Nope. Okay, good. I don't think I picked him for you either. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's there's a lot of firsts here. Um, the the person I'm going to mention that I thought of myself 
Those are two firsts, or one first, or I don't know, whatever. Man, look, my underrated drummer is a fella named Pete Thomas. Kind of came into his own with uh, Elvis Costello and the Attractions. And I mean, it's just, those tracks are just dead perfect pop rock, you know, a little bit of punk and, you know, some of that in there. But just, I mean, just like magic drum tracks. He just has that thing, man. It just, anything he plays makes sense. It serves the song. The feel is right. The sounds are right. The vibe is right. The attitude's right. And he has parlayed that into a significant studio career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, besides Elvis, there's, um, you know, he's done some awesome Los Lobos stuff, which a lot of people don't know. They I use, did not know that, sir. Yeah, they use they use some studio guys on uh, on a number of tunes. And rightfully so, I think you know Keltner might have played on some some of that stuff, but Pete Thomas has done some, and they're the ones that I'm aware of are really really fantastic. Um, he also he played on some of that that seminal Graham Parker stuff that a lot of people are religious about. Um, Cheryl Crow, Neil Finn, Lucinda Williams, he did some stuff. Some a lot of people don't know he's done some of that. Just iconic great rock and roll stuff that appeals to not only the average listener but musicians and rightfully so because this guy's got the magic when it comes to his thing and he does it and it's it's fantastic and man i've seen him live a few times and it just delivers it's not any trickery going on here man this guy, as I'm going back through my Rolodex of Elvis Costello and the Attractions tunes, he literally codifies about five different styles at one time. In other words, of course, all those English folk, man, were, were into American rock and R&B. Mm-hmm. There's that. He's got that in there in spades. Yeah. He's got this slick English pop thing happening. He's got the punk thing happening. Yeah, it can be loose and yeah, and then raw. and then also, man, he bridges that punk bridges into kind of that British new wave thing, true as well. And then, man, what's the the stinking tune? The something the detectives where he's playing the reggae. Group. Yeah, it's got definitely got some influence there with the reggae. Thing. You know, so and, and and you know, it's not you know, it's not like Carlton Barrett, you know, reggae. But no. I mean, it, it's it's got that certain kind of aggressive, you know, punkish vibe. Mm-hmm. reggae thing happening it's, it's very cool just yeah man check this guy out I mean there's endless tunes he's played on that I promise you you know in listening to him he'll he'll really turn you on and b- become an influence in that respect you know that approach it's really underrated cat good deal man Pete Thomas mm-hmm. my guy comes just a tad bit later a few years later than Pete Thomas in, in the realm of actually making a splash, getting a little bit famous. Right. And he is another one of our guys that is a direct descendant. He is a baby of John Bonham. And the guy in question is the wonderful Bobby Chouinard. Mm-hmm. BC is all of the kids call him. 
Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you my story <laughs> or in a few minutes. Or grandpa. Right, yeah. Uh, Bobby Chouinard, Boston drummer, came to fame in the, we'll call it probably right around the turn of 1980 or so with Billy Squire. And that's where I became familiar with him, man. That Billy Squire was one of the first concerts I ever saw, probably mm-hmm. back in the early 80s, man, maybe 82 or so. And MTV was really blowing him up. so And uh, killed him as well, which I'm going to get to in, in just a minute. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Bobby Chouinard is highly, highly influenced by uh, John Bonham to the point to where he did – he he was kind of a big guy. He even looked looked a little bit like Bonham in some ways. Played a big old Ludwig drum set. Uh, huge. I don't know if it was a twenty six bass drum, but it was a big big old bass drum. Huge big Peisty cymbals as well, and just played thunderous caveman style grooves mm-hmm. on top of that. In in it's funny man this is a, I think this is at least the second if not the third Bonham baby that we kind of talked about. If you remember last year man we talked about when Leonard Hayes from Y&T died and he was a Bonham baby. Yep. You know as well. Um there's good reason to talk about those guys. I I'm telling you. That's some great influence. Yeah, some wonderful they're coming influence. close. It, it, we should talk about. Yeah. Them. And you know if you're familiar with Squire's music, there are, I think virtually everything that he released, everything that Squire released, I think Bobby Chouinard played on it. The highlights for me, uh, there's a track called Lonely is the Night, which was a hit. I don't think it was a huge hit, but it was a hit. Got some and, play for sure. Yeah, and man, let me tell you, if you come in on just the instrumental parts of it, it actually sounds like Zeppelin. There are parts inside of that song in particular where there's little little breaks, little drum breaks that he does very Bonham-like fills, and then just overall the vibe of that tune, it sounds like Zeppelin. Several of the early Squire tunes, man, sound a lot like Zeppelin. Clearly an influence. Yeah. Uh, also, I like In the Dark. That's mm-hmm. another one um, that he sounds great on. If you want just ridiculous meat and potatoes, one of the big uh, Billy Squire hits was The Stroke. I mean, just huge, thunderous drum sound on that. That was a gigantic hit for sure. Huge hit. And then the hit of all hits, it was actually Billy Squire's biggest hit. And then the double-edged sword, it was the one that killed his career, was a tune called Rock Me Tonight. And all you need to do to see why it killed his career is go to YouTube and watch the video. Mm-hmm painful yeah there's there's quite a story behind that i won't get into it at, at, at this time but but mtv not only helped make billy squire but it actually killed his career also his his career officially went off a cliff man after that video it's horrible. pretty much uh and and you can see bobby chenard on, on a whole variety of videos but he is in the entire last half of that rock me tonight video after Billy Squire leaves his pastel colored bedroom <laughs> ripping his shirt off and frolicking he around. He doesn't leave, he prances he prances, out. He skips, skips out, out of there. Oh, yeah. That's, that's brutal to think about. Aside, man, aside from um, Billy Squire, Bobby also played on Ted Nugent and then I just discovered and somebody's going to have to prove this to me, it says that he played on a share record. Wow. Now, uh, you know, I mean, she she's been a chameleon, and yeah, if she did a heavier record. I could see that. Any listeners that know what track or tracks BC played on, 
send us a quick email. I'd love to hear it, to hear how Bobby played on a share record. If you could send a track without the vocals, that would be awesome. Hater. You afraid she's playing percussion into a microphone? <laughs> it, it's very possible. John, I'm not going to end this podcast till I tell you and all the folks out there about my meeting with Bobby Chouinard back on November the 2nd of 1984. You remember the date? Well, it was my birthday. Oh, that helps. Yeah. But yeah, I absolutely rem I remember. This was a very vivid memory. It's actually, it's kind of a short story, and it will tell you everything you need to know about Bobby Chouinard. All right. Well, on November the 2nd, 1984, my friend, uh, it was publicized that Bobby Chouinard, drummer from the Billy Squire Band, was going to make a public appearance, a meet and greet, at Hughley's Music Store in Knoxville, Tennessee, over on Kingston Pike. I can even tell you the, the location where it was, because there were a couple of different Hughley's music. Well, Billy Squire was having their gig that night at the Knoxville Civic Coliseum, but a mere hour and a half to the northeast of Knoxville, in the college town of Johnson City, Tennessee, playing at Freedom Hall, there was a little old Canadian band that's already mentioned in this podcast, Rush was playing. So my 15-year-old self at that time, it was an easy choice, man. I had seen Billy Squire before. I had to go see Rush. They were on the, I believe at that time, it would have probably been the Grace Under Pressure tour. Unfortunately for me, that was the first time I'd ever seen him, and that was when they were starting their keyboard phase of their career. Still a great, good show. They but didn't any, have a percussionist? Cranky old loudmouth drummer with a kick and a snare on that gig, did they? No, but I understand the next tour there will be. Ah. Uh, so. Anyway, back to the story. Um, I decided that before I made the trek an hour and a half to the northeast to go see Rush, that I was going to go see Bobby Chouinard at Hughley's Music and tell him what a fan I was of his because I was indeed a fan of Bobby Chouinard. Still am a fan of, of Bobby Chouinard. So he was supposed to be there roughly around 2 o'clock that afternoon. And sure enough... Here comes Bobby walking into the store with a, we'll call him a handler. Probably some, might have been a tech or like a, you know, road manager kind of a guy or whatever. So Bobby comes strolling in, and there's a grand total of zero people there to see him, except for me. We'll, call, we'll say one. So I was there. To see half. Him. Yeah, there was a half. You've grown into a hole. I have. Then I've heard stories about you or half. So Bobby is just literally standing aimlessly in the middle of the store, not over by the drums. There's no table set up for this guy, nothing. He's just standing over there with his hands in his pockets, right? Sad. <laughs> so, you know me. I'm going to go over and I'm going to talk to the man. Yes. So I walk over to him and I stick my hand out, my 15-year-old hand, and I'm like, uh, uh, Mr. Schnard? And he sticks his hand and he goes, BC. And I said, Oh, BC, man, I'm I'm Phil. Man, I uh really dig your playing, man. I saw you play last year on the I guess I've been the like the Emotions in Motions tour down in Chattanooga at the Roundhouse. I said, Man, I really dug the show. And he was like, Oh, thanks, man. Thanks for coming out. I appreciate it. And we talked a little bit about, you know, just playing with Billy Squire and his drums and 
you know, what he had done coming up, studying. And at that time, he told me, man, one of his his huge influences aside from Bonham was Don Brewer from Grand Funk Railroad, who is a, 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 a huge influence on me too. Smoking good player, man, no Don Brewer. But anyway, so we were talking a little bit about it. And so I thought I would lob a little something out there to him. Uh, the opening band on that tour that I saw him play in Chattanooga was a another Canadian band, prog rock band called Saga. Oh, I remember them. Remember they had a little song called Tonight We're On The Loose? Yep. Well, they had a left-handed drummer, a guy named Steve Negus, that was playing drums with him at that time. And he had a monster, big, huge kit, double bass kit, you know, six-inch tom all the way down to probably 18 inches, you know, that whole thing. So those wacky Canadians. Yeah. So I went ahead and got brave and I was like, yeah, man, uh, that tour, you guys had an opening uh, band out of Canada. And he goes, yeah, yeah. Saga, Saga. And I'm like, yeah, I said, I, uh, you know, I was kind of digging on their stuff, too. I said, what'd you think about their drummer, Steve Negus? And he kind of looked off to the side a little bit, like just check to see if anybody was listening. And he looked down at me and he goes guy's a real light hitter (laughs) (laughs) and that's all you need to know about bobby chenard about bc man he's he was an animal rest in peace bobby c be manly i'm telling you man that's funny you know there it's it's interesting those of us that came into that era we still wrestle with that you know like Sometimes I get in the studio, I'm like, ah, oh, I got to just beat the crap out of the drums. Because it was just such a huge part of that very influential period with us. Yep. Where, you know, most of the time you needed to be wearing that snare drum out and all that. So so there was that mindset and that influence by mm-hmm. people like that. Like, look, man, you know, all the videos, guys are winding up over their head and all that. And now I'm like... Whatever. Bobby could be an animal, man. Yeah, no he doubt. could flat out play. I mean, did you ever hear that quote that Rick Morata said about that period of time? I thought it was fantastic. Man. No, what was R- it? Rick Morata said, there was a period in time where that if you had two clubs for hands and two clubs for feet, you could play. That's <laughs> true. You know? So... Yeah, that could be said of just about any era, though. <laughs> yeah. Because there's always yeah. a Neanderthal out there making a bunch of money and snickering at us <laughs> dedicated folk. Ah, yeah. uh, well, we're going to leave it with BC, man. Love He's it. A light what hitter. a great player. Yeah, man. Go check him out. Billy Squire. What do you got, John? You got anything else? Uh, let's see. Um, anything you want to promote? <laughs> It's February, and I had two gigs come my way this week. That's worth celebrating. Or January. Oh, it's January. <laughs> right. I'm in denial about all of this is what I'm saying. What would have been amazing, man, is if we could have actually left that in the show, and then people who were listening to it would pull out conspiracy theories that we were, like, time traveling. That's true. Well, we might be. <laughs> Who's to say we're not? Can I get better in the future? I was confused. I I just got two gigs this month that fell in my lap, and then another one that just happened the other day. It's in February, so 
Well, I, you know, I haven't had any fall in my lap for January, but I did have a few fall in my lap for February. So good. That's, that's good. Yeah, man. That's been, yeah. Everyone's like, what happened? Snowstorm. Dying. Yeah. All right, guys. The white out. Yeah. That's it for this week. We hope we did some good for you. Okay, I won't talk anymore about the reality of our anemic schedules. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you guys. Love y'all. We got good stuff coming up in the future, so stay tuned, and we will see you next Monday. Every Monday, new show is is published. You can find us, of course, on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Podcast, Podbean, Stitcher, and all your favorite pod uh, podcast apps. If you would. Don't make us beg, but please go by iTunes and leave us a review. It does us a world of good. We'd appreciate it. We sure would. Be careful. If you're a light hitter, it's okay. I promise. (laughs) It's going to be all right. Steve Negus says it's okay. Have a good one, kids. We'll see you next week. Bye.